Well, let's go back to something that came out earlier this week. It's been much talked about. How much alcohol do you have to consume per week to impact the risk to your health? Not much. It turns out, according to a new report from the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, that group advises Parliament on how to deal with addiction. They're working on new alcohol guidelines for this country. It finds that to be at a low risk of suffering negative health outcomes from drinking, a person should consume on average just zero to two standard drinks a week. That's not much. It's like two bottles of beer, I think. Any more than that, and the risk goes up. So three to six drinks per week puts someone at moderate risk of negative health, negative health come, outcomes. rather. And six or more standard drinks per week puts a person at high risk of such things as cancer and cardiovascular disease. Uh, the center is also recommending mandatory labeling of alcoholic beverages that would indicate portion sizes to encourage safe consumption. So what did you make of the new guidelines? What about this idea of labeling? I know it's not new, but it, certainly there's been some pushback. With more on this, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Stockwell. He's a professor at the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so this is part of a broader uh, process to try to come up with new guidelines uh, for alcohol in this country. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. It's a very elaborate process. There were like three committees struck and funding from Health Canada and lots of parties involved, health experts and a very careful process underway to give the best advice based on evidence to Canadians who might be interested in avoiding harms from their drinking or helping other people avoid harms from their drinking. We've seen our understanding of those harms evolve quite considerably over recent years, haven't we? Yeah, and I think there's two big stories underlying that. I mean, one story, in fact, they're both stories we've known for a while, but things have become more certain. The first one is that it's been thought for a while that alcohol in moderation uh, protects people against heart disease and diabetes and some kinds of stroke. There's always been question marks about that going back 50, 60 years. Can this really be true? Is it too good to be true? Well, sadly, for those who like a drink, the evidence has become far stronger on the side against that idea. So that's a big story. And particularly recently, like even this year, the World Heart Federation made this big announcement in Geneva and put out a new report rubbishing the, um, the evidence for alcohol being good for your health. So good for your heart, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, the other story, so that's one story, there's weakening evidence and, you know, the criticism of that view getting stronger. The other story is cancer. And the World Health Organization, I think it's 1989, like, you know, 33 years ago, told the world that mostly had its ears covered that alcohol in any dose is a risk for cancer. It's a carcinogen. The World Health Organization has classified it as a class one carcinogen on the same level with asbestos, tobacco, plutonium, I don't know, sorry, mm -hmm. asbestos and tobacco. Um, mm -hmm. And people don't know this, um, but the evidence has grown stronger and stronger. So it's for breast cancer, and many women don't know that alcohol is a risk factor for cancer to a degree that depends just on your dose, how frequently and how much you drink. So those two things converging have both led to a grand reduction in levels of drinking believed to be low risk. So these guidelines have gone down to no more than six drinks a week to reduce harm from drinking. And even then, drink less. If you drink less, the less you drink, 
down to nothing, um, the, the lower your risk. So for everyone, just drink less, drink less um, is the message. And yet, of course, during the pandemic, I, I understand, of course, or at least anecdotally, we seem to see people drinking more as far as we can tell. Uh, anecdotally and also empirically, I can confirm that we analysed sales data from all over Canada, and as of others, um, drinking went up about seven eight percent. Total alcohol consumption in Canada went up about seven or eight percent, and it went up the quickest during COVID when the lockdowns were in place. People having more disposable income if they were in a job. Lots of people had more disposable income, and it's cheaper to buy alcohol from a liquor store. And the liquor stores were open much longer. And there were even some price reductions uh, the government made to keep us all happy. During that time, when you talked about the the lower consumption rates, uh, I I think people might be surprised, listeners might be surprised to know just how low um, your risks are, how much higher the risks are with a very low amount of consumption of alcohol. It is quite a small amount that is already being flagged at this point, uh, particularly in this study that was put out today uh, by the CCSA or put out uh, this week by the CCSA. Uh, it flags a pretty low amount and your risks are already starting to climb. Yes. So the metric that was used um, was that you compare different kinds of risks. If you think about the risk from air pollution or the risk, depending on how close you are to a nuclear reactor, for example, acceptable risks are like less than a one in a million chance of premature death caused by that, that exposure. With Health behaviours, you know, sexual risk taking, smoking, drinking, we accept high risks. <laughs> and it seems that most um, guideline committees now think that a one in a hundred lifetime risks or increase in risk of one percent or more sets the level. When you, we crunch the numbers and CESA, the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, helped with that process. When we crunched the numbers at about six drinks per week, you're just under that 1% limit. So if you drink above six, more than six drinks a week, you're increasing your risk of dying prematurely from alcohol-related causes by more than 1%. That might sound like a small amount, but it's like a thousand times greater risk than would be accepted for air pollution or from radioactivity from living near a nuclear power station or whatever. Right. And and the amount of liquor consumed too. I mean, I gather six would be six bottles of beer over the course of a week. Keep in mind, this isn't yeah, you know yes, this yes, isn't yes. an infusion. This is over the course of the week. Thirty yes. milliliters, uh, yeah. thirty milliliter shot of hard liquor, which is which is not a lot of, by by many standards. Uh, so these are pretty low thresholds uh, when you start to climb into that one in a hundred unacceptable yeah. risk factor. Yeah, and lower still, it's buried in there is two drinks a week. It's just um, narrowly below a one in a thousand increased risk of premature death. So the break even in that analysis was at about less than one drink a week. Now, you can argue, and I certainly would, at that level of drinking, it really probably isn't a physiological benefit we're observing. So in these studies, one of the reasons people no longer accept, most scientists no longer accept that alcohol is protective against heart disease. So less than one drink a week, it can't be a physiological effect. That's such a tiny dose. Um, It's inconceivable. There's lots of other reasons for doubting that. But anyway, so very low levels. The the basic fact is 
alcohol is a carcinogen. Um, it has risks for liver disease. Every organ of the body is potentially affected. It's a tiny risk, one or two drinks a week, but it's measurable. And it increases with every extra drink you have, um, and which is why the general advice is there's no absolute safe level. Be cautious. And, you know, these are fairly low risks within these stated limits. Tim Stockwell is with us this half hour. He's a professor at the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria. We're talking about uh, a new study put out by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, as well as some public consultations uh, that are now underway. This is all uh, in the goal of uh, issuing new uh, drinking guidelines in this country. They advise the federal government on these things. I know that might be a bit simplistic, but in a nutshell... um, Tim, one of the things they came out again with as a recommendation was warning labels. And I know this has been talked about for quite some time now. And um, where do we stand on it? And uh, is, do, you, do you expect to see any movement this time around? I'm hopeful there'll be movement. And I think coming on the back of announcing new guidelines to protect Canadians from um, the consequences of using a product that's distributed by governments and sold directly to them by governments, um, and so actually the governments are liable for some of those adverse effects. It becomes you know, unthinkable that governments would take the step ultimately to warn citizens about these risks. Um, it would happen with any other product. Alcohol's got away with this for years. And we've, the World Health Organization has announced alcohol as a carcinogen for uh, over 30 years. Governments have been mostly very slow to react. But Canada's not alone in looking at this. I know Health Canada is taking a long, hard look at this question. The guideline recommendation should give more impetus to that. Almost anyone you speak to says this is a no-brainer. You know, People deserve to be told whatever position you take upon people's rights and freedoms to, you know, choose their own path to hell, drink themselves into oblivion, providing they don't harm anyone else. Consumers have a right to know. And that's one of the main, um, you know, you know, main motivations behind these guidelines, giving people information they have a right to know. I heard a, a strange tale a while back from someone who's in the wine distribution business in California that uh, his sons, who are, all, and who are quite young, in their 20s, probably and their friends, don't like to drink wine because they don't know what's in it. They don't know how many calories there are in it, whereas other alcoholic drinks now, some of these other forms of alcohol, will actually have a bit of information about their caloric intake, the caloric content, not yeah. what they may or may not do. So it just goes to show you how little information there is on a lot of, on any alcohol for that matter. What would these warning labels look like? What kind of information would they be aiming to provide or how would you make the consumer smarter? Right. Well, <clears throat> with a colleague in Ontario, Dr. Erin Hogan, who's a scientist at Public Health Ontario, eight years ago, we got together to design such labels and test them. And we started with asking panels of people to rate different images and types of warning. We did focus groups and we got invited to the Yukon by the uh, Yukon um, Liquor Corporation uh, to, to evaluate trying out these labels as part of a, a campaign Health Canada funded us. So we came up with three key messages. We eventually had them on one big complicated label, but then when we discovered it had to be translated into French, we thought, oh, we have to break it into three labels. So we had three rotating labels. Number one, and they were all 
validated by the chief officer for health, the chief medical officer, so then Dr. Brendan Hanley, who's the mem- member of parliament for, for, for Whitehorse. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was warning of cancer risk, specifying breast and colon cancer in particular, because they are prevalent in the, particularly in the Yukon. Um, the next one was advising people about low-risk guidelines um, to reduce the harm. So they were the old guidelines, which were higher than the new ones being um, broadcast for the first time this week. It was no more than two drinks a day for a woman, no more than three drinks a day for a man, and have two days off every week at least. Um, so that's to reduce risk. And the third label was saying, well, that's, how do you count these drinks? Well, how many drinks are there in a bottle? Call them standard drinks. And, and it's just a label that said, how many standard drinks are in this bottle or of, of beer or, you know, bottle of wine or spirits to help people keep track and follow the guidelines and reduce the cancer risk and other health risks? Did you find them effective? Were they effective? Actually, yes. Honestly, I didn't believe it because I've been looking at labelling for years and years and years. I worked in Australia, England, and actually managed to get governments there to introduce standard drink labels and they've been evaluated. I didn't expect they would change behaviour, but what we had going for us was we had good messages. We spent a lot of time preparing them. They weren't the weird black and white things that are stuck on a funny little label that's very dense in the US um, and hasn't changed for 40 years. These labels were colourful. They had images. They were large. They were used language that we tested with focus groups to make sure they were good good communications. And lo and behold... We looked at alcohol sales, the hardest data you can get from the liquor corporation, compared with Yellowknife, who also gave us their official liquor sales. We only put the labels on in Whitehorse, the main centre, and we had control areas in the outlying areas of Yukon that didn't have these labels. We found a close to 7% reduction in alcohol sales per person, Um as during the labeling intervention and we and it increased it like gained momentum during the study from the we had can there was a complication in the alcohol industry threatened legal action against the Yukon government and they told us to take the cancer warnings off and we we could only use the guidelines and messages and the standard drinks but the, we did surveys and the surveys of consumers said they made them think about reducing their drinking there was public support for them they worked and we reasoned it was because they were colorful vivid um, memorable uh, messages that were discussed over dinner tables in bars and pubs. Yeah. Is there still a lot of pushback uh, from those who might not want to see labels on, on these products? Oh, they would die in a ditch over it. I mean, it's not uh, surprising. I mean, who would, who, if you're a big multinational company making billions of dollars from selling a product, you do not want a big, colorful label on it that says it will give you cancer. It is not good for sales. And that's what we saw going on. Plus, we know about 75% of Canadians, at least till then, didn't know that alcohol was a risk factor for cancer. They want to keep us in the dark. And they're going to push and push. They're quietly lobbying. I think they've learned to keep a low profile in the media because the story just gets out of hand if they raise their head above the parapet. And they're seen to be stopping us, citizens, knowing what their product does. It's not a good look for them. Dr. Tim Stockwell, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.